<laughs> this, this is just the beginning of the indignities of surgery. <laughs> I bought my wife that sweater because we went to Paris. You know, when we came back from, I think y'all all know this, when I was on the way back from, from uh, India, I flew Susie over and we met in Paris and spent five days in Paris and had a wonderful time. Just wonderful. And then, of course, she took a different plane home than I did, and so I was in D.C. by myself, and, and then this happened. Hey, I, I want to start by uh, um, apologizing for my limited wardrobe. Um, this is the same thing that I wore last night to the uh, singles Bible study. Um, you know, I only have a few things that will go over this casket, so um, you'll probably be seeing this outfit quite a bit. Um, <laughs> Uh, if it doesn't go over uh, this cast, did I say casket? Yeah, I did. <laughs> you, you can tell I'm not a bit anxious about this surgery. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, it, it, I can wear it if it goes over the cast. Um, and, and I'm getting a new cast tomorrow. The, uh, the surgery is tomorrow at 6 a.m. And um, my prayer is that they, they, they're saying that they have to intubate me, which means, you know, a tube down the throat, and, which goes down through my vocal cords. Now, um, my vocal, I live by my vocal cords, so I've asked them not to do it, um, and they, they might not. So uh, I just pray that they'll find another way to put me out. Just, uh, anyway. Um, so the surgery is tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock, and I'd appreciate your prayer. Now, let's, let's talk a bit about India, and I think that's what, um, what you expected to hear tonight, at least I hope. And um, <clears throat> um, I, we're going to conclude by you having to make a decision, okay? Uh, I'm just setting you up. Guys, um, I, I've been to India six times. The five times I've been to Hyderabad, which is in the south, and this time, really, the only reason I was willing to go back was um, I went to Delhi, New Delhi, which is in the north, uh, way north in India. Um, it's a city of 22 million people. Um, lately, it has been in the news because of its fog slash smog. Uh, you know, it shut down the airport over there for uh, days. And I don't know how long, was that a couple of weeks ago or maybe a month ago, maybe? Um, but um, we saw that. I mean, there was a couple of times, I mean, we, we feared, oh my gosh, they're going to shut down the airport, we're not going to be able to get out of here. Um, but we, we did. Um, but there were several mornings that we woke up, and I mean, you, you could hardly see out, you could hardly see anything out, out your hotel room window. We were in a, a hotel that was nice, it was plenty nice, um, uh, but somebody, I think it was David and, and Holden, wanted to go downtown Delhi, which I, I you know, I, I, I would have too. And and they were going to rent a car and go down there. And they asked how long would it take to get from where we were to uh, downtown Delhi, and they said, oh, a couple hours. And that was the end of that. Um, so we were way out on the suburbs, I guess. I never saw downtown Delhi. We were in a hotel. Uh, it's a compound. You you. Um, there was nothing around there to eat. Well, we did find something after we walked for three or four miles. But uh, if you didn't eat at the hotel, you didn't eat. Um, guys, India is a country, and, and if, if some of our Indian brethren are here tonight, I, I, I hope this won't be offensive. But India is a, is a country that is struggling uh, somewhere between third world and, um, 
and, and a glittering first world, I, I guess is what you call it. Um, for instance, in my hotel room, you looked out this window, a big, big window in the, in the room, and there's this, there's this monorail, this beautiful monorail uh, metro system that is going back and forth and carrying. I mean, it's, you know, Memphis doesn't have anything to compare with it. But then under it was this enormous, I, I don't know what it was. It was a field of dirt, just dirt. We, we tried to figure out what they did with this piece of land, and nobody could figure it out because there's nothing on it. No grass, no trees, no nothing, just dirt. And there's this, this glittering monorail, modern, and then one morning I wake up and see there's a shepherd leading a whole flock of sheep through that dirt thing, right under the, the, the fancy monorail. And where he was taking those sheep, I do not know. He was headed right for our hotel, but I don't, um, <laughs> I don't know what he was doing with those sheep. I mean, I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about six sheep. I'm talking about 200 sheep, 300 sheep, um, just Right there and there, you know, there's the monorail and there's the, the shepherd and the sheep. And then there was an, one occasion, actually there was two, one in the morning, one in the evening, um, where traffic, which is notorious, I mean just notorious, traffic was stopped because of a herd of cows. Um, and I don't know what you are when you herd cows. Um, uh, you know, okay, a cowboy. Um, well, a cowboy was herding his, his cows um, right there in the middle of traffic. I mean, 7 million cars and 14 million motorcycles and smog everywhere, and here comes some cows. And, and everybody's got to stop. I mean, it just stops while we get the cows across the street. Um, there was one thing, and, and, and what I'm trying to say is it's, it's a country that's struggling in between this and that. Uh, one morning when, when we woke up, they, they give you a newspaper um, in your door, you know, and, and, and it was really a nice newspaper, and it was in English. And so we, um, I was reading in the newspaper, and it, there on the front page was this celebration of uh, the eliminate or the awarding of the DFZ um, to a particular area of, uh, of uh, New Delhi. I guess it was New Delhi. Maybe it was India. I, I, I forget, but and, and so, you know, that DFZ kind of caught my eye, and, and um, <laughs> the, the, a, a DFZ is a defecation-free zone. That means nobody goes to the bathroom in the open anymore. And so when you get to the place where you don't defecate in the public, you get an award um, of the DFZ. Uh, you're, you're now considered a defecation-free zone, and the, the article, I showed it to the guys, and I just thought it was hilarious. Um, there was a guy being interviewed in the article, and he was saying, well, that ain't true. I mean, I go to the bathroom right in here all the time. Uh, now, now, urination is done, I mean, I mean, from where we go to where we, I mean, you'd see that going on 25 times. But the defecation-free zone is one, you don't, you don't go... Um, you don't do that in, 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 in uh, the open. And this man was saying, well, we're glad to have the award, but, you know, I, I still, you know, go to the bathroom outside. So um, it, it's just a, an interesting a dynamic right next door to our hotel was this nice, beautiful building that was a bank building, and it had, uh, you know, underground parking and, and uh, a... a, a so, so you've got that, and then you've got 
the the DFZ zone, the DF zone. Um, so it, 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 on our way from the hotel to the compound, um, you know, it just kind of goes downhill in terms of economic um, um, accomplishment, I guess. <laughs> but when you get where we were, where the compound was, there was uh, open raw sewage. There was a there was a trench in the side of the road, and I think it was concreted. And um, all the uh, all the um, the sewage went through that little thing there, and you know we had to cross it to get into it. You know, just um, so it, it's 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 odd. It's um, uh, the airport. Um, I mean, you, my my flight did not leave until four o'clock in the morning, and I got there at nine o'clock at nine thirty at night. And um, so I'm waiting outside in the, I, it, it, there's just, just people. When I arrived, um, I got there about 1 a.m. in the morning, and somebody was supposed to pick me up, and they weren't there. And you go outside, and masses, I mean masses of people, cars, um, honking, um, I mean just, Without a break, without a break. I mean, and, and it was another hour before the guy that was supposed to pick me up ever showed up. And and I kept praying, Lord, would you get me in touch with somebody? I borrowed a man's phone uh, because I didn't have international service and, and called somebody and it didn't help. But anyway, ultimately, about 50 minutes later, they showed up. But, but you're standing there, and it's 1 a.m. in the morning, and there's mil- there's thousands of people around you and cars honking and it's just, it's just you. You step into a different world. Um, I mean, Paris. We watched people stand in line to pay seven thousand dollars for a Louis Vuitton purse. We did. We took pictures of it. Is that not the truth? I mean, it, there's a Louis Vuitton store um, on Champs Elysees, and they, they, people lined up um, to get into the place so that they could buy a purse for seven thousand dollars. <clears throat> and then, <clears throat> then, then there was there was India. Um, it's just an anomaly. You can't figure it out. It's a country that I think it's on the move. It's it's it wants to. By the way, did, did you know that the biggest consumer of luxury items in the world today is China? Did you know that? And there are those who are saying that um, that India is the next China. But in the, in the midst of hearing that, it, it's hard to reconcile when you see open sewage running right where you just drove over to get into the compound. And once we got into the compound, I mean, they closed the doors and wouldn't let us out. They didn't want us out. They didn't want us to go into the little village. Um, there, to get to the village, there was a river that you had to cross, and there was a, a bridge, and it had one lane, one lane. And I mean, it wasn't a big one lane. It was one lane. And it was, who's the boldest who's going to get across that thing? And if there was any little break, then you had to, I mean, <laughs> there was one point, uh, like the first day, that we thought, we're going to die on this bridge. We're, they're never going to unravel this traffic. Because, you know, they're both coming from both sides. And, you know, it, it was it was something. Um <clears throat> One of the things that that was striking uh, also, um, you cannot you cannot have beef. You do not eat beef in India. Now, 
let me say, I've been there six times, and five of those in Hyderabad. And Rick San Roman went two or three times with me, and, and we stayed in this one hotel. And right around the street from the, that hotel was a shopping mall, and it had a um, Hard Rock Cafe in there. And I ate a hamburger in there. I know I did. Um, a, a couple of years ago, maybe four years ago, I, I don't know. But I ate a hamburger in the Hard Rock Cafe. But now things have changed. Um, the new prime minister is a Hindu nationalist who, um, um, I mean, they told us this story probably four times, that just recently a, a, it was a Muslim man had bought a dairy cow. He bought a dairy cow. And um, he was transporting his new purchase to, back to his farm or his, um, his place or whatever. And the Hindus, considering a beef cow sacred or a cow sacred, stopped him, murdered him, lynched him, burned him, et cetera, et cetera, and filmed it for everyone to see. And the, and the prime minister supposedly said, his only response was, we've got to be nicer to each other. But um, we looked for beef. There is none. They had chicken sausage at the breakfast buffet, in the, in the breakfast buffet. You know, New Delhi is like three hours from uh, the Taj Mahal. And uh, there were, there were um, tour buses of Japanese. And I'm telling you... Um, <laughs> Could you come here for a second, Shelby? Uh, these Japanese, um, in, in, in Paris, you have the Louvre. The Louvre, and the, there's, a, there's a picture of the Mona Lisa in the, in the, in the Louvre. And, and it, you track it down. Uh, it's not that big. I mean, it's just a little bit bigger than that thing. And there's these flocks of people. This fellow was taking a picture of the Mona Lisa, and a Japanese guy was behind him and goes like this. Keep it over there, honey. <clears throat> Takes his picture and then goes. <laughs> I, I tell you that story because at, at our breakfast buffet, I think that guy and all of his family were at the breakfast buffet. There was a woman. There was this little toaster thing that, you know, it, it, go, it rolls and then your toast comes out the bottom. You've seen those things. This lady stuck a croissant in there and, <laughs> and it caught on fire. <laughs> And she walked away with the place billowing in smoke. <laughs> Golly. I, I started, but anyway, they finally got somebody over there to, you know, not burn the place down. But, but back to the, um, the, the no beef. Oh, they had chicken sausage on the, on the buffet. Chicken sausage uh, that was neither chicken nor was it sausage. Um, I tried to eat it. Uh, Chris Luke tried to eat it, and we both gave up. Uh, pretty rapidly. I mean, it was shaped like sausage, and it was white, um, but it, it just didn't. Anyway, uh, David Shea and I, on one occasion, just because we were bored one afternoon, oh, actually, it was the last day, and we were, we were waiting to leave to go to the airport. So we walked to this, what was a shopping area, which, I mean, I wish you could see it. It's, it's just like these big buildings that are, I don't know, six stories tall, and there's, there's six businesses, at a, a business in every floor. And they're just, and there's 10,000 motorcycles. We, we walked. Um, uh, anyway, 
So we were just looking for something to eat, and we found a Burger King. So we thought, there's a Burger King. We'll get us a burger. <laughs> Foolish Galatian, who hath bewitched you? There are no burgers. In, no, yeah, that's not true. There are no beef burgers. They have a chicken burger, and they have a mutton burger. And, and both David and I had a chicken burger, and we ate, I don't know, four or five bites, and the french fries were fine. But um, there's, there's no beef, and they treat cows like they're sacred. And I remember going to a marketplace one time where a cow was just walking through the marketplace and urinating over everything, and nobody, nobody made a move. Now, um, as for the missional um, impact, um, guys, one of the things that you have to uh, remember is that ideas have consequences. If you're a Hindu that has millions of gods, let me tell you, they're all ugly. I mean, these statues of, of elephants and with 47 breasts hanging down and, and snakes, and it, it's just... It's, it's the consequence of believing in something that is a, that is a lie. Um, one of the heartaches of India is that the prosperity gospel is rampant. Creflo Dollar, y'all know that name? Creflo just recently, I think within the year, had been to India and drew crowds of thousands thousands. And he told his crowds that uh, he needed a new Gulfstream jet because he needed to take his message further and faster and farther. And he got it. He got it from these poor Indians. Maybe they weren't poor. I, I, I don't know. But um, Creflo Dollar is flying around in the new Gulfstream jet. By the way, I need one of those too. <laughs> um, because the prosperity gospel, and that's, by the way, one of the things that we address. Um, now, as for what I did, I, um, I taught systematic theology. Most of you have, not most of you, many of you have been into my systematic theology class. And, um, you, you know, there's a, there's a point uh, kind of in the first hour of the second week, where I introduce you to the um, to the sovereignty of God and the moral responsibility of man, and I tell you that it's not either or, but it's both and. And at that point, everybody in my systematics class here kind of relaxes and says, "Well, okay, I think I can do this. I think I can go with him now." Once they understand that that both of those things are taught in the scriptures. Unfortunately, so many of you have only been taught half. And half a truth represented as a whole truth is a whole falsehood. But when they heard in India, and these were 200 pastors, when they heard that this lengthy description of what, of what J.I. Packer calls an antinomy, when they heard that lengthy, um, and they heard of the necessity of gospel presentation to all parts of the world, they applauded. They broke out into this 
this. Yay! And clapping. I mean, it caught me completely off guard. I mean, I think it's beautiful too. But they, they thought it was beautiful too. Um, when I had finished all of my lectures, I was done on Thursday afternoon, and so we went out on Thursday night to celebrate. We went to this place, and we ate Indian food, and that was a mistake. Um, I, I thought I could handle it, um, but uh, about 4 o'clock the next morning, I realized, oh my. Uh, uh, I don't want to go out there and have to go to the bathroom. Um, every man here will tell you, you wouldn't want to go to the bathroom where we were in, that, in this compound. You, you just, you don't want to do it. And so there was a, um, David Shea, myself, uh, and Holden. We were all really icky. And we stayed home, although my teaching responsibilities were over. So I was not there for the feedback, but Chris Luke and David Johnson were. And, you know, these men were telling or expressing their appreciation for, for any theological training. You know, I think many of them were, are, are as bright as, if not brighter, than I ever dreamed of being. But I have so many resources. I have so much opportunity. You know, I've been to schools and more schools, and, and, and I've got all this access. And to have somebody teach them some, some fairly significant theological stuff they were um, they were grateful. One man stood up and said, "By the way, I have to give theolo- theologically, um, guys. I believe in something that's called the definite atonement or limited atonement. Now, and I'm not sure you do, but that's neither here nor there. But one of the things that the limited the doctrine of the limited atonement teaches is that Jesus Christ did His work so well that when He died, He didn't die to make me save a bull, but He saved me." Um, that when he died, he had my name on his lips, Uh, that he died for me. He didn't die to make it possible for me to be saved. He died and saved me. And I went on to say about how, um, what a, what a um, uh, absence of gospel assurance that so many have because they do not understand just that, that Jesus Christ saved me. He didn't make me save a bull. He saved me. And the reason that I have assurance is because Jesus did his work so well, not because I've done mine so well. One man at the feedback session stood up and said, he'd been a pastor for how many years, Chris? He'd been a pastor for 20 years. And he said, I have never before experienced assurance until now. (laughs) That was sweet. Uh, There was one man who was there from Nepal. A pastor from Nepal. There was, a, there was a pastor from Bhutan. Where the heck is Bhutan? I'm not going to Bhutan. I'm here today. Um, but, I mean, they were from three countries. And um, the room was filled uh, with 200 Indian pastors. Now, um, <clears throat> um Here's where you come in. You need to make a decision. Um, that conference cost Grace Venture about twenty-five thousand dollars. 
probably more because I haven't turned in all my receipts. <laughs> I've been a tad distracted. Um, um, but Grace Venture set aside $25,000 for, for us to go do that. Um, you know, the, the huge percentage of that is getting those pastors there and feeding them. <clears throat> feeding them for six days or five days or whatever it is. Three meals a day. Tea. And then um, they, they stayed. Um, it was interesting how I found this. I didn't know where all these pastors were sleeping. And I was looking for a bathroom. You know, at my age, I'm always looking for a bathroom. Um, but I found this bathroom, and I walked past this room that, that was, it was probably the size of this, something like this size. And um, I didn't count them. We didn't count them. There had to be 150 cots in that room. And, you know, the last time when we were in Hyderabad, they were just mats on the floor. These were cots. But these men um, were... were Spending the night in those in a room, I, I don't know how they handled their bathroom needs with, with the bathrooms that I saw and that many men in that one room um, sleeping there and being fed three meals. And, and very frankly, for many of them, they were in high cotton. Uh, they had three meals a day. Um, they had a place to stay, uh, sleep, and they got theological training. And you paid for it. Every, every dime of it, ladies and gentlemen. And so, so we have wrestled with whether or not this is a good investment of, of the money that you give. You, you do know, don't you, that if, if we take up $100,000 on a Sunday morning, you know that 10% of that immediately goes to missions. You know that, don't you? It goes to Grace Venture. But then some of you designate monies to Grace Venture. So that's where that money comes from. Okay, So that, that Grace Venture committee which many of you have been on and many others of you need to be on, you're the ones that determine how that money is spent. I never go to those meetings. I never tell that committee how to spend the money. I go ask for money. But Grace Venture approved $25,000, something like that, Jonathan. Is that close? Uh, Anyway. Um, And so we've often wondered, is that good? Or should we be spending another way? Here, here's, here's what we heard. Um, the request that came in from the, the ministry over there was they gave us two options. They could have 150 pastors at X dollars, or they could have 200 pastors at X other dollars. Um, Grace Venture approved the 200. And so I'm always leery about it. Now, they're going to be 200 there because we paid for 200. There were 200 there, um, if not more. Um, so, 200 pastors in northern India, one in Nepal, one in Bhutan, have at least been exposed to the beauties of sovereign grace. Then, for the other five times that I've been over there, um, in Hyderabad, 300 other pastors, completely separate from these 200 up there. This is a new development from this. It's, the ministry is called Native. This, this, this 200 is a new development in the last four years, I think, something like that. So I have taught 300 pastors in the South, um, and I taught 200 pastors in the North. 
Now, I'm not a math whiz, but that adds up to 500 uh, preachers that have been exposed to, um, to the beauties of sovereign grace. A theological system, ladies and gentlemen, that I think is extraordinarily beautiful, and so many of you do too. Did they buy it? I don't know. Did they get it? I don't know. Will they use it? I don't know. So here's the question that I put before you. Is it worth it? You're going to have to decide that. You want to spend $25,000 like that or not? Uh, I'll say this. It'll be decided through your representatives on Grace Venture, who are all laity. It's not staff. I mean, Jonathan, is, is he heads it up because he's, he's our missions pastor, but the, the other 12 or 13 are all you. So you've got to decide. But as you think about it, Creflo dollars flying around. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, Creflo dollar is wicked. He's a wicked man. And that prosperity gospel is a wicked message. John Piper once said, the reason that you know that it's a false gospel is that it can't be preached in the third world. Well, apparently John Piper's wrong because it's getting preached in India. And it's, and it's getting preached in spades in Africa. And why people buy into that, I don't know. I mean, we, we did our best to take a shot at it. Um, so you got to decide. 500 pastors have heard at least this. How much did they get? I don't know. Um, I can tell you this, and I think, I think David and, and Chris would, when I'm up there going 90 to nothing, they're glued. They're glued on me. Not because I'm so wonderful, but because I think I think the truths of the gospel are so captivating. Um, so as you, as you think about what you're going to do in the future, I want you to keep this in mind, and then I'm, I'm done. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach? unless they are sent, as it is written. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I don't know how much of reform systematics these men left with. I don't know. But I know this. There are 200 sets of feet that are better theologically trained than they've ever been before in their life. And we just cut them loose on northern India. And it costs us $25,000. So, I won't be making that decision. You will. Give it some thought. It's it's a privilege to represent you. Our Father, um, I pray that you will lead this congregation, that you'll lead all of us as we try to sort out how we can best invest Missions dollars to get the biggest bang for the buck. 
wherever that is, however it goes, would you help us? No, yay, nay, what? What do you want? Because ultimately, what we want to do is what you want us to do. Would you please lead us so that we make wise decisions and take numerous gospel steps? Father, I do want to pray that you would uh, make it possible that tomorrow morning um, that I'd have to not be intubated. But if so, would you guard my vocal cords and would you allow this surgery to go smoothly and might it be, might it surprise the surgeon that things went back in place so easily? Oh God, um, we love you. We are sorry we love you so little. Why, might, might you restore all of yourself to each and every one of us. We ask it all, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.